Uh, we should take time to be still in God's presence. It's when we take time and just be still in God's presence that we can uh, have his love wash over us. It's, it's where we feel the love of God washing over us. You know, I used to be um, envious and jealous of the, of the Apostle John. It, it refers to himself, he refers to himself as the disciple whom God loved. And he identified with that. And this song, Lean Back, it's reference to John leaning back on the breast of Jesus, even as they're there at the Last Supper. And, and, I, and I used to be envious of that moment that John had there at the Last Supper with, with Jesus, where he's leaning back into, the, into Jesus, into all of who he is. And I realized that we all have the right and we all have the privilege and we all have the opportunity to come and to lean back into all of who God is. If we're just willing to put in the time, if we're willing to steal away with him into the secret place and just be there, be with him in that place. It's, it's, that's our place to just lean back into him, the secret place. And God wants nothing more than to fellowship with us as we fellowship with him. Amen? Amen. Well, without any further ado, come on, uh, stand to your feet and just welcome Jamie Medic to the platform this morning. Of showing acts of service of love and for our life to be anything but extraordinary. And the first time I'd read this book was actually weeks before I met my wife, Danielle. Um, really, really funny. Literally finished the book several weeks before I met her. And then I met her. And for some reason, the first conversation we ever had was about this book. I had just finished reading it. It changed my life. And so I was you know, telling everybody about this book. Hey, you got to read this book. You got to read this book. She had just happened to write a paper um, to get into her graduate program for her master's. And so she had just written a paper on this book. It, this book touched her life years ago. She read it. She wrote a paper on it. And so she had just submitted it. I think we, we met in... We met in October. She started, um, she had just started, uh, she would have started school in Jan January, so she had just gotten accepted. Like, she literally had just written this paper, and here I am reading about it. We're talking about our first conversation was about this book. And so 
Obviously, there are some spiritual applications to this book. I hold some personal sentimental value, but nonetheless, it is a very incredible book. But can we just bow our heads real quick as we just say a quick word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we pray that your, your word speaks to us. Lord, let your scripture uh, show its life. God, Lord, let it, let it come off of, of, of the page. God, let, let as the words are coming out of my mouth this morning, God, let, let, me, let me simply just be a mouthpiece to what you want to communicate this morning, God, which is that love does, that your son came to this earth to show the picture of love, the perfect picture of love. And Lord, uh, I pray that we walk away with understanding a little bit more of that this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Church, it's good to be up here. Church, I love when people do things, small things, for example, like the smallest little details, and then they turn into really, really big things, right? Like, I love, I love when things go viral. I really do. The reason why things go viral really fascinates me. No, I really don't know why certain things go viral and other things don't. You know, we see this all over social media. You know, celebrities will, like, wear something, and then that one item goes viral. Or, like, somebody does a dance on TikTok, and that dance goes viral. And I'm just like, I don't even know why. The average person can't even do that dance. But that dance goes viral, and it, it fascinates me as to why things go viral. And so we see this happen. We see this happen primarily in social media, but... Uh, uh, growing up when we didn't have social media, where we saw these things kind of going viral in our personal life, for me at least, in my family, was in movies, right? We watch a movie, and there's an hour and a half long of, of script, right? But we only walk away remembering like one or two lines, and those lines we end up like using every day. And so, you know, those, those one-liners end up sticking out to us. And, and so I actually researched, um, you know, what are some of the, the number one quotes of all time in movies that people remember? And one was from the movie The Godfather. Never seen the movie. I have heard the quote. And it says, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. And I know I didn't say that right because, again, I've never seen the movie, but I have heard the quote. And then the other one is from, another one that I saw was from The Wizard of Oz. And again, I've only seen that movie once. Like, it's in black and white. Why am I going to waste my time? Like, I've only seen that movie once, but I'm pretty sure I say this whenever I get off the plane, I look at my wife and I'm like, hey, we're not in Kansas anymore, you know? And it's like these lines, we just make a part of our, our daily living, right? And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, um, you know, go watch a couple of movies, like some really funny ones. Like, you'll walk away quoting those movies. But what amazes me is that in the moment when these lines were written, they were simply just a line on a piece of paper. They were simply just a single line in a big story. And, you know, we have all of, these, all of these quotes that simply just get imprinted, imprinted on our minds. And, and the greatest part about it is that when the, when the line was written, I'm sure there was probably no expectation that this one single line would carry so much weight right, in a movie. How many movies are defined by one-liners and that one-liner provides absolutely no context in the movie whatsoever? Like, hey, I heard this movie. There's this line. You say this line. And they're just like, they go watch the movie and then they're like, the, the movie was nothing about that. Like, what, is, what does it have to do with anything? Like, what, is that, what does Wizard of Oz have to do with Kansas? Like, it doesn't make any sense, you know? And maybe it does have to do with Kansas. Like, I've only seen it once. But for me growing up, again, I didn't watch those movies. I watched a lot of Disney movies. And so there was a, one particular Disney movie where my family, for some reason, had this... We, we, we grabbed a hold of some of these lines that we just thought were hilarious and really, really funny. We go around quoting it, using, trying to use the accents the people were talking in. And again, this one that really stuck out to me, because again, it, it has no context to the movie whatsoever. Like if I tell you this line and then you go watch this movie, you're going to be like, this has nothing to do with that. 
it's from the movies The Incredibles. How many people have seen The Incredibles? A few of us? Okay, cool. So that means we'll, we'll get this reference. Fantastic. All right, so it's from the movies The Incredibles. And if you haven't seen the movie, I'll give you a quick run. It's a story about this guy who's, who is super strength, and he's a superhero. That's how this movie starts out. He's a superhero fighting crime. Then, you know... One thing leads to another. I know that's a terrible storyline. One thing leads to another, and superheroes can't be superheroes anymore. Like, they're not allowed to be superheroes. No more superheroes. So he has to go work a regular job. He has to go do what you and I do. He has to work a regular job. Well, this guy can't work a regular job. He was, he was made to be a superhero. And so he struggles. He's frustrated. And ultimately, he decides, that's it. I'm done. I'm made for more. Sounds like a sermon. That's it. I'm done. I'm made for more. I'm going to go out and be who I was designed to be. That's a sermon for somebody this morning. You have purpose. Jesus loves you. Um, he goes out, puts aside what people are telling him to do, and he goes, I'm going to be a superhero. And so one of the things about being a superhero is that you get to wear a super suit, right? You get to wear this cool super suit that distinguishes who you are, right? And so he's like, I'm going to get a new super suit. You know, I'm going to rebrand myself. So he picks out these new colors, these new masks, these new things, and he goes to this, this woman. She's the super, super, she's the super suit creator lady. Her name is Edna. Little, little short woman. And he goes to Edna, and he looks at, he's like, Edna, I've got this idea for a super suit. This is what I want, the colors I want, things like this. I'm Mr. Incredible. I want a big eye on my chest. You know, Mr. Incredible. And he gets to the point of describing the suit when he describes what he wants his cape to look like. He said, like, I want this big cape, this ridiculous cape. When people see my cape, I want them to know it's me, right? And, and she instantly cuts him off and goes, everyone knows the line, right? He goes, no capes. No capes. No no capes, right? And so no capes, right? My family and I grabbed, grabbed hold of that line. Like, man, like, why? Why did we find that so funny? Is it because it's a, a short woman yelling at a really big, super strong guy? I don't know. We just thought it was funny. It held on to us. But, the, you know, I'll keep going with the story just a little bit. Mr. Incredible, you know, he's completely confused. He's like, why no capes? Like, I don't get it. Like, why no capes? You know, like, that's such a distinguishing characteristic. Like, if, if I was down in Troy and I saw somebody walking around with a cape... I would be like, that's a superhero. Like, normal people don't walk around wearing capes. I don't walk around wearing a cape, right? But superheroes do. Like, how are they going to know whether I'm a superhero or just a guy in tights? You know, like, it's the cape, you know? And so I got to have the cape. And Ed is like, no, no capes. And so she's like, no capes. And, you know, Pixar being Pixar, they, they do a cut scene, you know, and they show, you know, as Edna begins to explain all of these reasons why superheroes can't have capes, you know, Pixar shows these shots of superheroes, like, running from, like, dogs, and the dog gets the cape, and they get, they fail, and then, like, they're, they're running away, they trip on their own cape, or they have this one really graphic scene, and this guy's flying, and he gets sucked into a plane jet. It's pretty graphic for a PG children's movie. But it's in there, and she's like, no, no capes. And she explains all these reasons of how superheroes keep getting caught by their capes, and they can't complete the job. And so my sermon this morning is entitled, Not All Heroes Wear Capes. You have your engage card, you see it in the top left-hand corner. Not all heroes wear capes. So this all got me thinking this past week as I was preparing. And it led me to two questions that I'm hoping that we can all answer this morning together. And, and the first one is this. It's more of a self-reflection. This is for you. The first question is this. Is, is how does our cape get in the way of us being a superhero. And I'm going to re reword some, some, some of those, those words here. We're going to swap them out. How does our natural desire to be seen and recognized get in the way of us loving others? We're in this series of Love Does, and how many times do we hit this stumbling block of no longer showing love to others because we're so concerned 
about being recognized for the deeds that we're doing. And the second question is this. This is where I want to spend most of our time this morning. What can we do to ensure that we continue to love others even when we don't receive the recognition we feel we deserve? And are we going to continue to be heroes even when no one sees what we're doing? See, church, not every act of love will see the recognition we think it should. And so I, I really want to read a paragraph from this book this morning um, because Bob Goff does a really great job of encompassing some capes and, and what those capes can look like. And, and I believe this is probably one of the, the number one potential things that can get caught up, um, that, can, it, that we can get caught up in from showing love. And so I want to just read this really, really quick. Plus, you guys get a little teaser of the book. Um, and so if you were thinking about purchasing this book and getting your hands on it, you will after this. And so it says this. It says, it seems like every time Jesus did an incredible thing, he would say something similar to the people nearby. He raised a little girl from the dead, and what did he say? He said, tell no one. He healed two guys who were blind, and he gave them one admonition before moving on. He said, say nothing to anyone. In a world driven by self-promotion and spin, Jesus modeled something different for us. Jesus was saying that instead of telling people what we're doing all the time, there's a better way, one that doesn't require any capes, that can get snagged on something, something like ourselves. And maybe Jesus wants us to be secretly incredible instead. Maybe that was his plan for self-promotion. Secretly incredible people keep what they do one of God's best-kept secrets because the only one who needs to know, the God of the universe, already knows. Maybe Jesus, I love this, maybe Jesus wants us to be secretly incredible. And so church, this morning, I want to read from scripture about a woman who was secretly incredible. So secretly incredible that the Bible doesn't mention her name in this passage. But Jesus stands out in this situation and says, this will be remembered forever. And so if you have your Bibles with me, I want to uh, invite you to turn with me to Matthew 26. It'll be up on the screens if you didn't bring your Bibles. But if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. We're reading in Matthew 26. Um, just give some context to this. This is uh, a couple days before um, Jesus is going to be. Um, he's going to is a couple. I believe it's a couple days or it's a week or so. It, it's very sh- short to the time frame in which Jesus is going to die on the cross. And so, um, and so he's with his disciples. And it says this in verse six. It says, "Now while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment." She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has performed a good service for me. For you always will have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the world, here we go. What she has done will be told in remembrance of her. What she has done will be told in remembrance of her. I love how Jesus here doesn't say, when I read scripture, I look for the intentionalities. I think scripture is so intentional. I think God is a God of intentionality. I think he's a God of details and he cares about these things. And, And I love the intentionality here. I love that Jesus doesn't say, everyone will know her name 
and who she is because of her actions. Like, we're going to talk about so-and-so because of what, of what they did. No, Jesus says, we will remember what she has done. We'll remember the action. In this particular passage, what she did was more important than who she was. And Jesus wanted to make that clear. Sometimes what we do is more important than who we think we are. You know, this is a, this is a principle we see Jesus sharing with his disciples all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. In John 13, Jesus says this. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And if you have love for one another, if you have love for one of these key phrases here, everyone will know that you are what? Everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone will know that you are Christ's disciples. Everyone will know that you are a Christian. Everyone will know that, it's not that everyone will know that you are John or you are Peter or you are Paul or that you are great. It's that everyone will know that you are a Christian, that you follow God. And the second one is, how will people know that we're Christians? How will people know that we are Christ's disciples? Does it say because we read our Bibles every day? Does it say because I pray? Is it because I go to church? No, these are things that Christians do. We do all of this. These are things that we do to, to increase our relationship. But how will people distinguish between somebody who, who, who proclaims to be a Christian and who is a Christian? They will know we are Christians by our love. Know we are Christians by our love. This woman was known by her love, not by her name, so much so to the point that her name was just completely left out of this passage, this one particular passage. And I, and I well, wish I could say that, you know, um, they genuinely don't know her name. Like, maybe it just didn't come up in conversation, you know, but we do actually find in other books of the Bible, um, the, the dialogue is a little bit different, and they actually do mention her name. But for this particular passage in the book of Matthew, his motivation was a little bit different. Why leave her name out? And I think it was to communicate this one point. I believe that the author was inspired by God to communicate that the name wasn't that important. Her action was. Her actions were important. See, Jesus didn't want it to be, hey, remember that woman who poured oil all over Jesus for his burial? Yeah, her name was Mary. No. He wanted it to be remembered as, hey, remember that woman who poured oil all over Jesus? Yeah, what she did was so powerful that even though we don't know her name, we're going to talk about what she did forever. See, I want to be a person who's known by what I've done, not by necessarily who I am. And see, this woman's actions were so powerful that it moved the heart of God. Jesus is here. The disciples jump, jump at her and say, why this waste? They get all upset. You know, I think they were just jealous. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. No, what she's done is good. This is good. Church, sometimes it's better to be, as Bob Goff puts it, secretly incredible. And church, I want to encourage us this morning as we endeavor to be secretly incredible. Church, I know that it is our human desire. We have this human nature to want to be seen. We do. That's not a bad thing. The desire to be seen isn't necessarily like, oh, I'm living in sin because I want to be seen. It's, it's something that we fight against. We don't, we don't necessarily want to have those desires, but we're human and we do have those desires. I mean, truthfully, if we go out of our way to do something for somebody, we usually want to see some type of response, some kind of appreciation, some level of, well, thank you, 
right? I hold the door for somebody, right? And they just waltz, waltz on in, no thank you. I'm just like, why did I even hold the door? You know, if I make food for somebody, I really want people to turn around and go like, wow, this is the best ever, you know, as they're just like horking down seconds, right? That's what we want. We want to see a response of people feeling appreciated or uh, showing appreciation for what we've done. We've made them food, we've held the door, you know, we buy them coffee or see how they're doing, whatever it is. You know, how difficult, church, would it be to be in a relationship that's completely one-sided? You know, you're continually showing love. You're continually telling this person how amazing they are. You're, you're going out and buying them all this, these things. You're, you're, you're doing the little things that really, really matter. And then you're getting nothing. It's a, hey, I love you in the morning. And the response is, up out of bed. No, like, how would we be able to operate in that relationship? I would tell that person, I think, I think you're in a toxic relationship. That's not normal. We want to... We want people to respond. We want people to respond. And the truth is, we all want to hear those three words. I see you. People want to be seen. We want to be seen. I like to be seen. Not seen in a way where it's like, I'm going to stand up here in the spotlight. I like to be seen. I like to know that what I'm doing holds value. And when people show appreciation, when, when, when what we're doing is recognized, then we feel that we have an, an added level of fulfillment. That's really what we want. We have this desire to be seen. And church, some of us this morning probably feel like we're going through life, we're doing certain things, we're, we're, we're going to our job, we're fulfilling our purpose, and, and we're not being seen. We feel like we're just kind of going through the mundane. We feel like my friends don't see me, my family doesn't see what I'm doing. You know, I don't even know that God sees what I'm doing. And church, I'm here to encourage you this morning that Matthew 6, 4 says this, but when you give to the needy, do not let, let your left hand know from what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. And what? And your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, church, even when things are done in secret, even when things are done and no one notices them, God still sees them. Nothing can possibly go unnoticed. And it says this, it says, if God sees it, then he will what? He will reward you. Reward comes from even doing things in secret. And so often, I want to make some clarity. This reward we talk about, when we read about rewards, often we think about physical rewards. We think about like finances and money, things like that. Like, oh yeah, prosperity. Like, I'm going to give and this is going to happen. I'm going to show this person love and I'm going to get a paycheck. Whatever it is. And it's, it's not always like that. So don't think that this, that this isn't about chasing prosperity. Sometimes, sometimes the rewards look like what Pastor Matt has been talking about the last couple of weeks. Love is what? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is generous. Church, you want, to stop walk, you want to stop going through life being anxious all the time? Start showing love and watch a reward come out of that. You want to stop responding in anger to every situation? Start showing some love and watch kindness, the gift of kindness happen in your life. Sometimes the rewards aren't necessarily physical. They're things that are actually going to help us in life and, and make us make us better, be, make us be able to do what we want to be able to. Because so often we think of just the physical, we think of the short term. But how many of us want to go through life without fear? How many of us want to go through life full of hope? Those are all rewards that the world cannot provide. Only God can provide those rewards. Church, God re uh, rewards us when we are secretly incredible. And that's not to say, you know, don't let people find out what you're doing. Because ultimately, if you do things for the kingdom of heaven, somebody will probably see it. The person you did the love for will probably see what you did for them. That's, you know, this isn't about going about being secret because, oh my God, if, if you know, so-and-so finds out that I did this, you know, God's not going to reward me. So like I'm in it for this. It's like, no, that, that's not what Secretly Incredible is about. That's not what this is about, okay? 
To be secretly incredible, it means that we take a place where we examine the motives of our heart. Examine the motives of why are we doing these? What are the reasons we're doing this? And if the reason we're doing something is to simply be seen, then being seen is your reward. Matthew 6, earlier, we read Matthew 6, 3, 4, 4. Matthew 6, 1 says this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For, when you will, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Church, I'll take a heavenly reward over an earthly reward 10 times out of 10. I promise you that. I would rather do things in secret and, be, and have God be like, you know what? You're just not going to be anxious anymore. And I'm like, all right, praise the Lord. It's like, I'd rather do something in secret and love somebody and God just be like, you know what? Like that anger you've been dealing with, yep, gone. You know, I'd rather be loving people in secret and God just being like, hey, like you haven't been as confident as you should. And so, you know what? Here's some confidence. I'd rather walk in that than somebody hand me a $100 bill. Church, come on. How, many, how much better are our father's rewards than our friend's rewards? Amen. Church, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be the best kept secret and see a fit city filled with the love of Christ than work so hard to have all of the credit and see little to no change at all. Someone asked me this question a long time ago, and it really stuck with me, and it, and it really did change how I you know, proceeded to make decisions in my life. They asked me this. They said, would you rather, and a lot of people hate would you rather questions, would you rather be on the bench of a winning team or would you rather be the superstar of a losing team? Church, do stats matter? Would you rather play a small role in something really big? Or would you rather play a big role in something really small? Church, you don't have to be the main character. Do you, Jesus isn't looking for superstars. But that doesn't mean that he can't use people with incredible talent. So don't think that I'm here trying to bash incredible talent. I'm a huge advocate for incredible talent. I'm like, yo, it's more God can work with. Jesus can use people for, with incredible talent, and he absolutely does. I mean, we look at Paul the Apostle in Scripture. He knew so much of the law. He ended up writing most of the New Testament. And there's somebody with incredible talent. But church, Jesus would rather have someone on his team who isn't willing to sacrifice the chance of winning for their own glory. It's not, about, it's not about me looking good. See, superstars on losing teams, they look good. And if you, if you watch sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many times do we see a really, really crappy team get the first round pick? And they're just like talking about how this good pick and he's getting all these numbers and things like that. It's like, it's the team's fault and it's their issue. But then you've got this one guy who's riding the bench and he's got like four Super Bowl rings and he's never played a play in his entire life. I was just reading about a guy. He was on the last two Super Bowl winning teams. They were both different teams, by the way. He was the last two Super Bowl winners. He didn't play a single snap in either game. And he has two, two Super Bowl rings. Didn't play one play. I'm like, I'll take that guy's seat. I'll be a part of that team. Hey, as long as, as long as I'm on the winning team, that's what matters. And Christ wants us to be on the winning team. Jesus is the winning team. The kingdom of heaven is the winning team. Yeah. If we want to start our own thing, go, go for it. Have at it. You know, there's the door. But just don't expect to win. You'll get a lot of credit. People might even love you but I can't promise that you're going to be on the winning team. Church, Jesus would rather have someone on his team who isn't willing to sacrifice the chance of winning for their own glory. Jesus would rather see us show someone the love of Christ than for us to go about telling everyone what we're doing, and then we get distracted from ever showing the love of God. And how many times do 
superheroes just trip up in their own cape and they don't end up saving the person. Sometimes we spend more time telling people about what we're doing than we actually spend doing it. Bob Goff says it this way. He says, you can get a lot of stuff done without a cape. And I think Jesus agrees. So let's switch these terms here. You can love a lot more people when you aren't trying to do it for yourself. Let's go back to the story of Matthew 6. Matthew 26, I'm sorry. Here's this woman pouring expensive oil over Jesus, and the disciples who are present, they do what? In verse 8, it says, but when the disciples saw this, they were angry and said, why this waste? Verse 9, for this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. That doesn't seem too complicated. Like, she could have done a little bit and, and, and done a lot more, you know? Like, that doesn't seem too harmful. But let's just take that to today's terms. Like, what does that really kind of look like? It looks like, you know, I have, I buy somebody a cup of coffee, right? And it's $5. And someone's like, you know what? Shame on you for spending that $5. You should have taken that $5. You should have taken it. You should have reinvested it into cryptocurrencies. You should have waited for an optimal ROI. Then you should have pulled when the percentage was, you know, between about 25 and 35%, taken that back out, then reinvested into another, um, uh, TIF stock, and then at that point, wait 35 years until then it explodes, and now you have a million dollars, and then you could take that, and then you can go down to the city, you can go to the local organizations, you can go to, you know, figure out what cities really, really need help, and what kind of organizations really um, are feeding uh, people of need, and then we'll background check specific people to make sure that those people really need what we're about to give them. I'm like, what? I'm just trying to buy somebody a cup of coffee. You know, like I'm just trying to show the love of God here. And it's like sometimes we don't have to do these big elaborate things for them to be amazing. God doesn't care if we perform an act of love and a whole city gets saved or one person. He just commands us to love. Church, you want to do something amazing and just start loving. Just start showing love. And church, I really want to encourage you Please don't ever look at what you have to offer and think that it's not enough. This woman here, she could have instantly thought, well, if that's what you guys were going to do with it, then I feel like what I'd have isn't enough. Don't ever think that what you have isn't enough. We, need, we don't need to have everything figured out before we start loving people. We don't need to have a plan B, a plan C, and, and this, and a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. It's like, just buy somebody that cup of coffee. Call that person that God's put on your heart and just say, hey, God, put me on your heart. How's everything going? Just take the love that you have to offer and just start loving. And through that, through those small actions, watch what happens in your life. And some of you might be sitting here this morning, you're saying, Jamie, you don't understand, man. Like, you don't understand. Like, I don't have anything to offer. You know? This woman, I mean, at least she had oil. Plus, she had an opportunity. Like, wow, what an opportunity to meet Jesus and to, to pour oil over on him. Like, she had all of this. You know, if God would just bless me first, if God would bless me, I promise I would start blessing others. You know, I really want to be a person who loves, but I need God to bless me first, and then I could do it. I promise, God, I'll be a good giver once God starts to give me some money. Lord, if you give me money, I promise I'll give it to the church. It's like, you know what? I'll share this about the woman. There was nothing significant about her. She took a risk. She put herself in an uncomfortable situation. She wasn't a woman of nobility. She had, she, she, this, this oil was probably all that she had. This, this was like her life savings. If you have any type of savings, that's what this was. This wasn't like, oh, here's some extra oil I have lying around. I'll go pour it over Jesus. This was her life savings. She was hanging on to this for a rainy day. It says that it was expensive. 
This, was, this is what she was supposed to sell in case, you know, the economy crashed back then or her house fell over. And she's like, you know what? Jesus needs this. So we, we may think that we're waiting for this opportunity, but she, here she is, puts herself in a, in a situation that truly makes this story so amazing. Because why? Because she, in this story, she really was a nobody. They don't even mention her name. She, she wasn't like the best friend of Peter. You know, it's like, hey, this is, my, this is my friend. You know, she wants to do this thing. Like, no, she just showed up in an uncomfortable situation and just performed this act of love. And church, here's the secret. The single act of love, Jesus says, will be remembered forever. And if you want to be a person who's performing those single act of love, then here it is. This is it. This is my whole message. If you want to be a person who loves, then start loving. Mind blown. Church, if you, you don't need expensive oil and a biblical opportunity to show the love of Christ. If you think that that's it, then you're probably missing the point. There isn't some sort of prerequisite to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The only prerequisite that you need to know is that Christ loved you first. 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because why? Because he first loved us. Here it is, church, our invitation to showing love. You don't need to have things accomplished before we begin showing love to people. You don't need to have read the whole entire Bible. You don't need to have 10 scriptures memorized that are going to convince an atheist that God is real before you go and start showing love to people. There's no prerequisite to love. I mean, look at the people that Jesus chose to be disciples. Look at them. What qualifications did they have? None. They weren't the most learned people of the word. They, 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 they weren't the most prosperous. These were non-factors. I get so frustrated when people are always saying that Jesus chose the fishermen because, you know, they were, you know, everybody else was caught up in the religiousness it's like if Jesus wanted the smartest people, he would have gone to the synagogues and asked them. You know, that's like saying that, you know, listen, if, if, uh, you know, if, if, if we want to be used by God, we, we have to have dark hair and dark skin because that's who Jesus chose. Those were the guys that you, no, those are just people in the Middle East, guys. Like they were non-factors. It didn't matter that they were fishermen. The only thing that mattered was that they were available. They were just simply available. The reason why the guys in the temple didn't get asked is because they weren't willing to lay down what they were doing. It's not because they were too smart. It's not because they, had, because they, they were too learned and that they were so regimented. No, they weren't willing to lay down what they were doing. The fishermen were because essentially that wasn't even a noble job. That was, the, that was the low of the low. They had nothing to lose. They were like, hey, I'm doing nothing already. I'm just fishing. Church. Church. Are we going to make ourselves available to love? There are a million opportunities to show the love of God today. And, and the question is, are we looking for those opportunities? In fact, there's a whole world out there that needs to be loved. They're desperate for love. They're, 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 they're almost dying to, to be loved. They don't need to be sat down and reprimanded and, and shown out in Scripture where they're sinning. They just need to be shown love. That is what is going to lead people to Jesus. People already disqualify themselves from coming to Jesus because they think they've already done things that are wrong. And so pointing out their flaws and what they've done wrong is not going to lead them to Jesus. It's actually just going to push them further away because that's already the reason why they don't come to Jesus because they know that they're living in sin. It is us showing them love, though they are sinners, like Christ showed us love while we were yet still sinners and then came to know him. Amen? Church, I, I, I'm going to end here. I'm going to end here. Love will cost you something. Love will cost you something. Are we willing to lay down whatever we're doing to show love? Church, in Matthew 26, 7, 
in our story today, we read about this woman. It says that, it says that what she had was very costly. It cost her something. Church, love will cost us in one of four ways. Maybe all four ways. It will cost us our resources. It will cost us our time. It will cost us our reputation. And it will probably cause us some comfort. And this woman experienced all four of these in this single act of love. It cost us her cost her this resource, this oil that she had saved up and put away. She she poured that out onto Jesus, never to be used again for anything but this act of love. Cost her some resources. It cost her some time. She took time out of her day, out of her night to go and perform this act of love. She didn't simply just send it with a messenger and say, hey, give this to Jesus. No, she went there herself and with her own two hands poured this oil over Jesus. She performed the act of love. Church, don't get don't try to get other people to perform your acts of love for you. Like, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you call somebody today? I feel like they need Jesus. Like, no, you pick up the phone and call them. It's like, hey, do you have five bucks? You know, and can, you know, here's five dollars. Go buy the person a cup of coffee. No, you go buy the person a cup of coffee. Let it take a little bit of time out of your day. Church, love will cost you something. You know, in this situation, it, it almost cost her her reputation. She showed this act of love, and immediately what happens? The disciples begin to accuse her. How could you? You're stupid. Like, what a waste. This is ridiculous. We could have done so much more than this. Like, aren't you thinking? Reputation could have gone right out the window, and then Jesus defended her and said, no, what she's done is a good thing. And then lastly, it might cost us some comfort. Have you ever walked into a house full of strangers and just started loving people? She wasn't friends with them. She didn't know them. And even if she did, she walked, she was a woman at a time where women weren't recognized in positions of nobility. She walked into a house full of men, performed an act of love. It's going to cost us some comfort, church. Love is going to be a little uncomfortable. But why, church? Why do we continue to show love? We show love for two reasons. Because it is the will of the Father. John 15, 12 through 13 says this, My commandment is this, love each other if I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And secondly, the reason that we show love is to point people to Christ. That's the real reason why we, we love. We read this earlier in John 13, 34 to 35. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Why? If you have love for one another. Church, love points people to Jesus. And so lastly, I just want to direct our attention to the engage card on the back. We hand out those engage cards to you. And there's just two things I want us to all look at as we reflect and we get ready to uh, take communion here. And the first thing underneath this week, I will, it says, be secretly incredible. And this goes back to what Bob Goff asked us to do. He said, maybe, maybe we should be secretly incredible. And I want to encourage us to be secretly incredible this week. Let's endeavor to love somebody this week. Let's buy somebody a cup of coffee. Let's make a meal for somebody and then just not tell anybody about it. Let's not make a social media post about it. Let's not make it about us. Let's make it about just simply showing love because there's plenty of opportunities this week for us to show love to to those around us. And we just need to take that opportunity and make it about Jesus and make it about his love and not about us, amen? And so if that's something that you wanna do, I wanna challenge you to check that box. I'm challenging myself to do that this week. And the second thing says, it says, lose the cape. Love because Christ loved, not because we might get the glory. Church, this isn't going to be a box that we check and it's a one-stop shop, leave your cape at the door type of thing. This is going to be something we're going to have to die to every day. We're going to have to continue to... The, the cape doesn't just get burned and then left. No, the cape sits on a, 
sits on a hanger in our closet, and we can choose to take that cape with us when we leave, or we can leave in the closet. Something we're going to have to do every day is remember to not make it about ourselves. When we're doing things for the kingdom of heaven, when we're doing things for God, when we're showing love, we're not doing it for our own self. We're doing it because, because God has asked us to show love. Preparing for this sermon, I came across a couple of studies. I researched, um, I like to do that. Uh, research came across a couple of studies um, of what people who aren't Christians think about people who are Christians. And I read a couple different articles. Um, I didn't write them down, but I, I can get them for you if, you, if, you're, if you're curious. Um, one of them, I think, is Lifeway. I'm not sure. Um, but they, they said what they think about Christians, Christians, what Christ, non-Christians were saying about Christians. And how would you describe them? You know, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And unfortunately, the majority didn't say love. They didn't say loving. And Christ says that we're supposed to be known by our love. Instead, they said things like exclusive. They said judgmental. They said knowledge withholding. They, they actually believe, pe- people who don't know Jesus believe that we have this, this wisdom, that we have this, this knowledge that God has given us through reading the word, through, through following his commandments, and we do. And they believe, they, they think that we don't want to show that to them. We don't want to communicate that with them. Wow. And it just really became a check in my spirit. I said, how many of my friends that know that I'm Christians, that aren't Christians, don't think of me as somebody who loves? Do people Think of me as somebody who loves, or do they just think of me as a Christian? And this is where I want us to reflect, and, I, and, and this is where I'm just going to close. We are the ones that hold the power to change those around us' opinion of what they think about Christians. In our workplace, and in our classrooms, at school, or whether we're hanging out in a coffee shop, wherever we're going throughout our day, we may be the only one in that area that's a Christian, and has the opportunity to show the love of Christ. We may be the only example of the love's Christ that someone will experience in their day. And so the change starts with us. If people are going to recognize that we're Christians by our love, it's going to start with each one of us. And it's going to start with the people around us. And by affecting the people around us, that's how we change a city. That's how a city comes to know that the, the Christians are the ones that love people. They're the ones filled with the love of God. And so church... We need to lose the cape, and we need to be secretly incredible for the kingdom of heaven because, church, ultimately, Christ gave us that love first. Amen? Amen. Church, thank you so much for hearing my heart this morning. Be blessed. Pastor Matt is going to come on up, and he's going to take communion.